Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. Tonight, I will be reading Dracula by Bram Stoker. This was voted for by the supporters on the Patreon. If you join the Patreon, you get to vote every so often on what I read next. You can also get bonus episodes every single week. So there's actually double the amount of episodes on the Patreon, and every episode is also about twice as long. They get the extended versions for supporting. So if you like the sound of those rewards, sign up at patreon.com slash down to sleep to get the exclusive version of this podcast. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Let's go ahead and get ready to get down to sleep. Dracula by Bram Stoker. Chapter 1. Jonathan Harker's Journal, kept in shorthand. 3rd of May. Left Munich at 8.35pm on the 1st of May. Arriving at Vienna early next morning. Should have arrived at 6.46. Train was an hour late. Budapest seems a wonderful place, from the glimpse which I got of it from the train, and the little that I could walk through the streets. I feared to go very far from the station as we had arrived late and would start as near the correct time as possible. The impression I had was that we were leaving the west and entering the east, the most western of splendid bridges over the Danube, which is here of noble width and depth, took us among the traditions of Turkish rule. We left in pretty good time and came after nightfall to Klausenberg. Here I stopped for the night at Hotel Royale. I had for dinner, or rather supper, a chicken done up some way with red pepper, which was very good, but thirsty. Get recipe for Mina. I asked the waiter, and he said it was called Paprika Hendel. As it was a national dish, I should be able to get it anywhere along the Carpathians. I found my smattering of German very useful here. Indeed, I don't know how I should be able to get on without it. Having had some time at my disposal when in London, I had visited the British Museum and made search among the books and maps in the library regarding Transylvania. It had struck me that some foreknowledge of the country could hardly fail to have some importance in dealing with a nobleman of that country. I find that the district he named is in the extreme east of the country, just on the borders of three states, Transylvania, Moldavia, and Bukovina, in the midst of the Carpathian Mountains, one of the wildest and least known portions of Europe. I was not able to light on any map or work given the exact locality of the Castle Dracula, as there are no maps of this country as yet to compare with our own ordnance survey maps, but I found that Bistritz, the post town named by Count Dracula, is a fairly well-known place. I shall enter here some of my notes as they may refresh my memory when I talk over my travels with Mina. In the population of Transylvania there are four distinct nationalities. Saxons in the south, and mixed with them the Wallachs were the descendants of the Dacians, Magyars in the west, and Seikes in the east and north. I am going among the latter, who claim to be descended from Attila and the Huns. This may be so, for when the Magyars conquered the country in the 11th century, they found the Huns settled in it. I read that every known superstition in the world is gathered into the horseshoe of the Carpathians, as if it were the centre of some sort of imaginative whirlpool. If so, my stay may be very interesting. I must ask the Count all about them. 
I did not sleep well, though my bed was comfortable enough, for I had all sorts of queer dreams. There was a dog howling all night under my window, which may have had something to do with it. It may have been the paprika, for I had to drink up all the water in my carafe, and I was still thirsty. Towards morning I slept, and I was wakened by the continuous knocking at my door, so I guess I must have been sleeping soundly then. I had for breakfast more paprika and a sort of porridge of maize flour, which they said was mamaliga, an eggplant stuffed with forcemeat, a very excellent dish which they call impletata. I had to hurry breakfast, for the train started a little before eight, or rather it ought to have done, for after rushing to the station at 7.30, I had to sit in the carriage for more than an hour before we began to move. It seems to me that the further east you go, the more unpunctual are the trains. What ought they to be in China? All day long we seemed to dawdle through a country which was full of beauty of every kind. Sometimes we saw little towns or castles on the top of steep hills, such as we see in old missiles. Sometimes we ran by rivers and streams which seemed from the wide stony margin on each side of them to be subject to great floods. It takes a lot of water and running strong to sweep the outside edge of a river clear. At every station there were groups of people, sometimes crowds, and in all sorts of attire. Some of them were just like the peasants at home, or those I saw coming through France and Germany, with short jackets and round hats and homemade trousers. But others were very picturesque. The women looked pretty, except when you got near them, but they were very clumsy about the waist. They had all full white sleeves of some kind or other, and most of them had big belts with lots of strips of something fluttering from them, like dresses in a ballet, but of course there were petticoats under them. The strangest figures we saw were the Slovaks, who were more barbarian than the rest, with their big cowboy hats, great baggy dirty white trousers, white linen shirts and enormous heavy leather belts nearly a foot wide, studded over with brass nails. They wore high boots, with their trousers tucked into them, and had long black hair and heavy black moustaches. They are very picturesque, but do not look prepossessing. On the stage they would be set down at once at some old oriental band of brigands. They are, however, I am told, very harmless, and rather wanting in natural self-assertion. It was on the dark side of twilight when we got to Bistritz, which is a very interesting old place. Being practically on the frontier, for the Borgo Pass leads from it into Bukovina. It has had a very stormy existence. It certainly shows marks of it. Fifty years ago, a series of great fires took place which made terrible havoc on five separate occasions. At the very beginning of the 17th century, it underwent a siege of three weeks and lost 13,000 people. The casualties of war proper being assisted by famine and disease. Count Dracula had directed me to go to the Golden Crone Hotel, which I found to my great delight to be thoroughly old-fashioned, for of course I wanted to see all I could of the ways of the country. I was evidently expected, for when I got near the door I faced a cheery-looking elderly woman in the usual peasant dress, white undergarment with a double long apron front and back, coloured stuff fitting almost too tight for modesty. When I came close she bowed and said, "'The Herr Englishman!' Yes, I said, Jonathan Harker. She smiled and gave some message to an elderly man in white shirt sleeves who had followed her to the door. He went, but immediately returned with a letter. My friend, 
Welcome to the Carpathians. I am anxiously expecting you. Sleep well tonight. At three tomorrow, the diligence will start for Bukovina. A place on it is kept for you. At the Borgo Pass, my carriage will await you and will bring you to me. I trust that your journey from London has been a happy one, and that you will enjoy your stay in my beautiful land. Your friend, Dracula. 4th of May. I found that my landlord has got a letter from the Count directing him to secure the best place on the coach for me, but on making inquiries as to details he seemed somewhat reticent, and pretended he could not understand my German. This could not be true, because up to then he had understood it perfectly. At least he answered my questions exactly as if he did. He and his wife, the old lady who had received me, looked at each other in a frightened sort of way. He mumbled out that the money he had been sent in a letter, and that was all he knew. When I asked him if he knew Count Dracula and could tell me anything of the castle, both he and his wife crossed themselves, and saying they knew nothing at all, simply refused to speak further. It was so near the time of starting that I had no time to ask anyone else, for it was all very mysterious and not by any means comforting. Just before I was leaving, the old lady came up to my room and said in a very hysterical way, "'Must you go? Oh, young hare, must you go?' She was in such an excited state that she seemed to have lost her grip of what German she knew and mixed it all up with other languages which I did not know at all. I was able to follow her by asking many questions. When I told her I must go at once and that I was engaged on important business, she asked again, "'Do you know what day it is?' I answered that it was the 4th of May. She shook her head as she said again, "'Oh, yes, I know that, I know that, but do you know what day it is?' On my saying that I did not understand, she went on, It is the eve of St. George's Day. Do you not know that tonight, when the clock strikes midnight, all the evil things in the world will have full sway? Do you know where you are going, and what you are going to? She was in such evident distress that I tried to comfort her, but without effect. Finally, she went down on her knees and implored me not to go, at least to wait a day or two before starting. It was all very ridiculous, but I did not feel comfortable. However, there was business to be done, and I could allow nothing to interfere with it. I therefore tried to raise her up, and said as gravely as I could that I thanked her, but my duty was imperative. I must go. She then rose and dried her eyes, and taking a crucifix from her neck, offered it to me. I did not know what to do, for... As an English churchman, I have been taught to regard such things as in some measure idolatrous, and yet it seemed so ungracious to refuse an old lady meaning so well and in such a state of mind. She saw, I suppose, the doubt in my face, for she put the rosary around my neck and said, For your mother's sake, and went out of the room. I'm writing up this part of the diary whilst I'm waiting for the coach, which is of course late, and the crucifix is still round my neck. Whether it's the old lady's fear, or the many ghostly traditions of this place, or the crucifix itself, I do not know, but I'm not feeling nearly as easy in my mind as usual. If this book should ever reach Mina before I do, let it bring my goodbye. Here comes the coach. 5th of May. The castle. The grey of the morning has passed, and the sun is high over the distant horizon, which seems jagged, whether with trees or hills I know not, for it is so far off that big things and little are mixed. I am not sleepy, 
as I am not to be cooled till I awake, naturally I write till sleep comes. There are many odd things to put down, and lest who reads them may fancy that I dined too well before I left Bistritz. Let me put down my dinner exactly. I dined on what they called robber steak, bits of bacon, onion, and beef seasoned with red pepper, strung on sticks and roasted over the fire. In the simple style of the London cat's meat. The wine was golden mediash, which produces a queer sting on the tongue, which is, however, not disagreeable. I had only a couple of glasses of this and nothing else. When I got on the coach, the driver had not taken his seat, and I saw him talking with the landlady. They were evidently talking of me, for every now and then they looked at me and some of the people who were sitting on the bench outside the door, which they call by a name meaning word-bearer, came and listened and then looked at me, most of them pityingly. I could hear a lot of words often repeated, queer words, for there were many nationalities in the crowd, so I quietly got my polygot dictionary from my bag and looked them out. I must say they were not cheering to me, for amongst them were Ordog, Satan, Pokol, Hell, Stregoica, Witch, Brolok, and Ikoslak, both of which mean the same thing, one being Slovak, and the other Serbian for something that is either werewolf or vampire. I must ask the Count about these superstitions. When we started, the crowd round the inn door, which by this time had swelled to a considerable size, all made the signs of the cross, and pointed two fingers towards me. With some difficulty I got a fellow passenger to tell me what they meant, and he would not answer at first, but on learning that I was English, he explained it was a charm or a guard against the evil eye. This was not very pleasant for me, just starting for an unknown place to meet an unknown man, but everyone seemed so kind-hearted, so sorrowful, so sympathetic that I could not be touched. I shall never forget the last glimpse which I had of the inn-yard and its crowd of picturesque figures, all crossing themselves as they stood round a wide archway, with its background of rich foliage and oleander and orange trees in green tubs clustered in the centre of the yard. Then our driver, whose wide linen drawers covered the whole front of the box seat, Gotze they call them, cracked his big whip over his four small horses which ran abreast, and we set off on our journey. And that is where we shall close the book on Dracula and this episode of Down to Sleep. If you would like to hear another part of this, come and join me on the Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep, where there will be another half to this story exclusively, as well as a bonus episode in a few days' time. Until next time, I hope that you sleep wonderfully, have a great rest, and I will see you next Monday. Good night.